Pure Dog Talk is the voice of purebred dogs. We talk to the legends of the sport and give you the tips and tools to create an awesome life with your purebred dog. From showing to preservation breeding, from competitive obedience to field work, from agility to therapy dogs, and all the fun in between, your passion is our purpose. Welcome to Pure Dog Talk. I am your host, Laura Reeves, and we have our monthly veterinary voice, my dear friend, Dr. Marty Greer, is back, and we are going to talk about the dog's ears and all of the things that go with ears, and considering that we have an ear thing going through at our house, the timing is impeccable. <laughs> Pure Dog Talk is proudly sponsored by Trupanion. Medical insurance for the life of your pet. Trupanion loves helping pets get the care they need. That's why they're excited to announce that they've officially paid out over two billion, that's with a B, billion dollars in veterinary claims. That's two billion reasons for more tail wags and treats. That's 730,000 pets that got the care they needed. Trupanion would like to thank all of the owners and breeders who've trusted them over the last 22 years. If you're part of the Trupanion Breeder Support Program, don't forget to register your upcoming litters for their go-home day offers. That way you can send them home protected by Trupanion's world-class coverage. If you're not part of the program yet, what, what, what? it's completely free to join and lets you send your litters home with an offer for a full Trupanion insurance policy that waives the waiting periods. To learn more and to sign up, just visit my partner page at puredogtalk.com. So talk to us, Marty. Talk to us about what we see going on in our dog's ears. Ears are complicated. It's not just go pick up a tube of Panalog and you're going to fix the whole problem. It is not that simple. I wish it were. Everybody wishes it were. Clients don't understand why we have these chronic, recurrent, never-ending problems. So it is complicated. Last Saturday morning, my first appointment of the morning was, oh, it's just an ear infection. I walked in and an hour later, I walked out emotionally drained because it's not just ears. This dog had a multitude of other things going on, the owner and her in her life. So it is a bigger deal than just a tube of Panalog. So I think this is a good place to derail slightly. Okay. We'll come back to ears. But a lot of people just want to call the vet and pick up another bottle of ear cleaner, another tube of ear medication and be done with it. Don't have to come in. I've had this before. It's no big deal. Just give me the meds and I'll go on my way. And the answer to that is it's not always that simple on that either. A lot of people assume that the relationship they have with their veterinarian requires an annual visit. There is, in every state in the country, a valid veterinary patient-client relationship, BCPR. So you hear that term thrown around a lot. And in the last two years, three years because of COVID, it's come under fire and there's been a lot of really interesting discussion. Some states are loosening up, some states are tightening up, depending on where you are. But almost no statute, at least no statute until three years ago during COVID, said you had to see the dog once a year or the patient once a year, dog, cat, horse cow, whatever it was. It said you had to have frequent enough visits to the facility or have seen the patient enough to know the current patient's medical condition. 
which could mean three years ago you had the same ear infection and so a tube panelog is perfectly fine. Or it could mean that I saw you yesterday, your dog got hit by a car, and now the patient's medical condition has nothing to do with what it was 24 hours ago. So first of all, be aware that your veterinarian may be, depending on what state you're in, may be required to see you for some of these things. So don't yell at the receptionist, don't yell at the technician, don't complain to the doctor. They have to follow the state statutes if they want to keep their license and stay in business. So first of all, be aware that every state has a little bit of a different statute and every veterinary clinic handles things a little bit differently. So if my associate saw you, but I didn't, and he's not in for the weekend, I'm the only one there. All I have is your medical record. I've never seen you. You've been coming to the practice for 15 years. Can I send you a tube of medication or not? So really just be aware that it may not be as simple as that because ear infections are complicated because of the VCPR, because of those relationships. And the nicer you are, the more likely you are to get a tube of Panalog. Whereas if you start shouting at the receptionist, the odds of that dwindle very quickly. Rapidly. Just right down the toilet. So (laughs) be careful. Guaranteed to have to come in. (laughs) Be careful. Yeah. And pay the emergency visit. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So just be aware that you have to know what the policies are at the veterinary clinic. And I hate the word policy, but it's the reality is that we do have some of those. But sometimes it's not the veterinary clinic's decision. Sometimes it is the state statute that requires it. So we're actually going to do some stuff with the Bridge Club talking about this. So if anybody hasn't figured out what the Bridge Club is yet, it's pretty fun. So anyway, that's the first thing. So ears. Ears can be as simple as first ear infection. The puppy got some water in its ears. It was out in the rain, playing around, rolled in the snow, had a good time, came in, got a little water in the ear, got an ear infection. Here's a tube of Panalog, Animax, whatever you want to call it today. And poof, the problem is gone and everything is peachy and wonderful. However, a lot of dogs have these chronic recurrent, never-ending ear infections. They can be bacterial. They can be yeast. They can be a combination. They can be allergic. And some dogs just have itchy ears. And I think this is kind of a revelation. I didn't know this until fairly recently that in humans, there's multiple ear conditions where there's nothing wrong, but there's nothing wrong with your ear. It's not infected, but it's itchy and uncomfortable and you want to rub at it. And so we think dogs could probably have the same thing as you can look down in the ear canal. I can look down in the ear canal with an otoscope and see absolutely nothing abnormal. And you're swearing, this dog really is miserable. Why can't you do something? And the answer is, we can do something. We can do just a straight steroid eardrop, Mm. no antibiotic, no antifungal, no oral meds. And really, if the dog has no drainage, discharged odor, any of those things to the ear, it may be as simple as just sending you home with some steroids to reduce the inflammation. So that's the first thing to know is a lot of veterinarians probably don't know that because I didn't know that and I consider myself fairly well-versed. So if it's new to me, it's probably new to other people as well in that perspective. However, we can see lots of problems. We can see allergies due to pollens. We can see allergies due to food. We can see allergic responses to other things. Ear mites are what a lot of people think their dog has. And really, honestly, ear mites rarely cause a problem in the dog. Cats, they're a big deal. Cats are the big deal. You can look in a cat's ear and you can see these jillions of ear mites walking around in there. I have great video I'll share with you. And they can be really miserable because they really are just marching around in the ear canal. And you can't even imagine how uncomfortable that must be. The whole thought of it just makes my head want to spin off. Oh, yeah. Thank God they're not spread to people because if they were, I would have them all the time and I would be miserable. 
So the important thing to know is if they do move into your dog's ear, they tend not to stay very long, but they leave the same kind of discharge, that brown, crumbly, coffee grounds kind of discharge that you see with a cat with ear mites is what we see with dogs with yeast infections. So don't assume that it's ear mites because we have a lot of people that come in and they're like, oh, well, I went to the store and I bought some stuff for ear mites and the problem didn't go away. Well, the problem wasn't ear mites. The problem was yeast slash bacteria slash allergy slash something else and you didn't get to the source of the problem. That's problem one. Problem two is these allergic dogs are very, very difficult to manage. And they're really frustrating for us. It's just the same as skin problems in the dog that have allergies, except ears are just skin down in a tube. It's just the same thing. And so these dogs that are allergic to grass, pollens, molds, dust mites, food allergies, they can be just incredibly miserable. And the problem just never really wants to go away. So there are some tricks that we have for that. Do tell. I want to hear the tricks. And I also want to hear your veterinary opinion, because I've heard different opinions, but I want the real opinion on ear plucking. Oh, great question. Let's start with ear plucking. You can pluck hair out of the ears. I think it sets up inflammatory changes because it's uncomfortable. You're ripping hair out of the hair follicles. Mm -hmm. So what a lot of people don't know, and I learned this at a meeting, so this is not Marty Greer going off the rails. This is actually from a dermatologist. You can put nair in the ear canal and get rid of the hair. I know. Look at you. No one else can no. see it. That you is. Yes. And it doesn't like damage. No, no. It's very cool. So you want to make sure the eardrum's intact, of course. And I usually use the one with aloe. It used to come on a white bottle. I don't know if it's still a white bottle or not because I haven't bought any lately. But you can put it down in the ear canal of dogs that grow hair chronically in their ears. Poodles and lots of those sorts yeah. of things. Mm -hmm. The dogs that have haircuts on a regular basis every six to eight weeks, the cockers, the poodles, the commodores, you know, because that's common, but I had a commodore and she had hair in her ears. Schnauzers, you know, yeah. she took all the dogs. Wire-coated dogs, yeah. The dogs that have coats that need to be trimmed every six to eight weeks, you can put nair in their ear. Now, I'm careful when I do it. I usually put it down with a Q-tip. I don't want to push a big squirt out of the bottle and into the ear and then have the dog shake its head because if you lose an eyebrow as your dog shook its head and the nair flew out in your face, I am not responsible for this. So just remember, if you have one eyebrow missing, we'll know why when I see you at the dog show. You've got one drawn on and one normal. Might just have to shave the other one or near the other. Just don't do it to the dog's eyebrow is what yeah. I'm saying. No, don't do it to that eyebrow. Now, all the hair doesn't come out on the first treatment. It takes a couple of times to do it. So I put it down in the ear canal. I give it about 10 minutes, and then I'll go in with a Q-tip and just kind of spin the Q-tip, and the hair starts to just lift out. It's really cool. Does it all come out in one treatment? Absolutely not. But you shouldn't pull the hair all out in one treatment either because it's pretty uncomfortable. They do make ear powder that makes it easier to grab the hair. I know people use hemostats, those little clip things that they'll put in the ear and then twist which is okay unless you get the skin when you grab it. Yeah, I don't like using hemostats. I like yeah. the R7 powder. That's my favorite. I like Nair. Yeah. I love it. That yeah. is mind blown. Okay, people, you now have a new way to get hair out of your dog's ears that no one had ever thought of. Amazing. See, see, every week we come up with something new and exciting. <laughs> to blow up Laura's brain. <laughs> Well, I don't want anybody to drive in the ditch because I know what I always hear people say is, I listen to the podcast when I'm driving to a dog show. I'm like, well, why don't you listen to it when you go pick up your kids from soccer? Like, what is different about the dog show? 
I guess you're in that dog show mindset, that place in your head. So they always listen to us driving to a dog show. And I think that's pretty funny. So don't drive into the ditch, people. Yes, you can use Nair. So just be careful. When my daughter was in high school, we went to the county fair and she had a friend that stopped in the barn when she was showing her cattle. And I looked at her and I said, Sarah, what happened to your eyebrows? And she said, I put Nair on them. I said, and how'd that turn out for you? And she said, not so good because here it is summertime and she's got like no hair on her eyebrows. Like, okay, well, let's not try that little experiment again. No. So please don't put a big blob in there and have the dog shake its head and have it fly out onto any unsuspecting person nearby. <laughs> so put a little bit down in there, let it sit a few minutes, twist it nice. gently with it, just a Q-tip. You don't have to grab it and pull on it. That was the whole point of it is it loosens right. the hair. If you put something long and skinny like the Q-tip in and just spin it around, it'll mm -hmm. collect it on the Q-tip and you can just lift out bits of it at a time. And over the course of several treatments, you can really get the hair out and then nice. you can keep up with it really easily. So the advantage to this is you're keeping a drier if you will, skin tube that we think of as the ear canal. Correct. So it's not going to have the moisture accumulate. It's not going to have wax and other stuff. Now, dogs should not have earwax in their ears. Cats should not have earwax in their ears. Children should. Ferrets should. Dogs and cats should not have earwax. So anytime you see discharge in the ears, if you put a Q-tip or a Kleenex in mm -hmm. and you wipe out something that's yellow, brown, icky, that's the technical term, just so you all know, icky and gross. Icky. Dogs and cats should not have earwax. So if you're not sure if you need to make an appointment for your dog because you don't know, if you smell something bad or you put a Q-tip in the ear, not to try and clean it, but just to kind of mm -hmm. do a quick swab, if you get stuff out, your dog needs to go see the vet. There's a problem. So that's first and foremost. Hang tight, guys. Got a little bit of information for you. We'll be right back to the podcast in a minute. Revival Animal Health is a proud sponsor of Pure Dog Talk. Revival Animal Health understands your commitment as a dog breeder, and that's why Revival is the place to turn for all your breeding needs. As the pet vaccine experts, Revival's selection is number one. Breeders trust Revival to protect their moms and get their pups off to a strong start. And Revival offers a complete line of breeding products from pregnancy, whelping, and newborn care to Revival's own reproductive and neonatal health brand, Breeder's Edge. During April, get big savings when you take the bite out of spring pest problems. Save 20% on select Elanco flea and tick products like Soresto Advantage 2 or Canine Advantix 2 with code ELANCO, E-L-A-N-C-O. Stock up now to protect your dogs before fleas and ticks attack and save 20% with code E-L-A-N-C-O at RevivalAnimal.com. Offer is good April 4th through the 28th. My favorite tricks for other things are don't mess with a healthy ear. If your dog doesn't have a problem with its ear, don't start cleaning it. When does a puppy get it used to handling the ears, get it used to handling the toes, do all the stuff that you want to so that they're familiar with it, but don't start putting stuff in the ear canal if there's nothing wrong with it. So if it ain't broke, don't fix it because you've now taken an environment that was healthy and you've changed it. So don't put something in the ear unless you need to. But if you do need to, keeping the ears clean on a weekly basis can make a big difference. Ear medication doesn't work very well if it's sitting on top of all that goop. So you have to do some cleaning first, but then you need to have the goop and the cleaner dry out enough that the medication you put in 
needs to be in contact with the skin. So wait an hour, wait till the end of the day, something so that it's several hours down the road, and then put your medication in. <laughs> now, there's some new medications on the market that are really cool that only have to be used once every two weeks, once every four weeks. So those can be really a great godsend. They're expensive, but they're a godsend for the dogs that are difficult to medicate. And it never ceases to amaze me, the people that come in and say, well, I can't put stuff in her ears. And I'm like, well, why not? And they say, well, she won't let me. Okay. I just had this conversation with someone. My dog doesn't get to decide what I can do. That's my job. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. You're the owner. They're the dog. And if they're going to live under your roof and you're going to pay their bills, then they have to do what you say. Kids, dogs, and men. I say it all the time. (laughs) Exactly. You know, so play by the rules, folks. So. If your dog isn't good at it, then those medications that are used less frequently can be helpful. And especially if you have to take them into the vet to have them applied, Mm -hmm. then you can go in and just go every two weeks or every four weeks and have the medication put in. And there are also some oral medications that can be really helpful. But I think one of the most important things that needs to be done, and probably not the first uncomplicated ear infection, any more than at the first uncomplicated bladder infection, you don't need a culture, you don't need a cytology. You don't need to get too excited about it the first time. A good look in the ear canal with a notoscope, a good assessment of what's going on is really all you need. And if the first tube of medication fixes the problem, great, you know, merrily go on your way. But if every three weeks or every four weeks or every six weeks you're back and the vet's like, oh, it's you again, then yes, you need a cytology. Sometimes you need a culture to find out what bacteria are living there, what antibiotic is going to work. Because we can get into some really nasty bacterial infections. Pseudomonas has a very characteristic smell. It is a nasty, nasty bug. And even the strongest medications, the strongest antibiotic, which is sort of a misnomer, but even the best antibiotic for that will not always be successful in managing it. So just be aware that sometimes it does get pretty expensive. And what we want to do is keep your dog off the surgery table and keep their ears as they are without any surgical intervention. So it's important to know that a culture, a cytology, those are things that we can do at the veterinary clinic. We look under the microscope, see if it's yeast, bacteria, combination of both, if there's a lot of white blood cells, if it's pus, that kind of thing. And then if it does look bad enough to culture, then say yes to your veterinarian if they say, I'd like to culture the ear. They're not just trying to rack up a bill. They're trying to get to the bottom of your problem. If they talk to you about food allergies, listen to them and be serious about it. If they talk to you about pollen allergies, again, be serious. Now, pollen allergies, you can't really eliminate those from your environment unless you move to Alaska, which for some people is a workable solution and for most (laughs) people isn't. But if they talk to you about food allergies, then listen really hard and decide if your lifestyle will allow for you to manage food allergies. It takes somewhere between four and 12 weeks on a special prescription diet food restricted protein and carbohydrate restricted diet. And it can be really hard in certain households. Mm -hmm. If grandma lives with you and she's senile and she just can't remember not to feed the dog off the table. If you have the two-year-old that's throwing food over the high chair, it's pretty difficult. And so be honest with your vet. Say, you know what? In my world, in my lifestyle, it's unlikely that this is going to be successful for four weeks or 12 weeks, whatever it turns out to be. So be aware that it can be really tricky. And there are some new diets on the market that can help with this. There's the hydrolyzed protein diets Mm -hmm. that have the same proteins that regular food has in them, but they're broken down into tiny little molecules. So the dog isn't so likely to have an allergic reaction to it. So those are pretty cool. All three of the prescription pet food companies make those. Hills just came out with their derm defense diet. And so that's really great for young puppies that tend to have allergic problems or you suspect have allergic problems. It's an egg-based diet, which is the least likely protein for a patient to react to. (laughs) 
and it has a lot of anti-inflammatory effects. And so sometimes getting ahead of that puppy's immune system when it's six, eight, ten weeks old and you go to the mm-hmm. vet and you say, she's really itchy and uncomfortable, mm-hmm. then it's time to really start paying attention. If your vet says, well, let's try this, even as a young dog, it's meant to be a complete and balanced diet. And this is one of my pet peeves. Just have to derail here again for one more second. And that's squirrels. And scratching. I know, another squirrel. Itching and scratching. I have texts come out of the exam room all the time and they say, the dog is itching. And I'm like, can you see the itch? Because I can't see an itch. You can see a scratch. You can see him biting, licking, chewing, scratching. You cannot see an itch. Does the dog owner perceive that the dog is itchy? Yes. So just be clear that we need to be really careful with our nomenclature here. That's right. So ears, allergies, ears dampness. Mm-hmm. What else are we going to see? Foxtails? Foxtails in certain areas of the country, yes. In certain climates, we have bigger problems. At least in Wisconsin, in the wintertime, our allergies go away because it's so cold when there's snow on the ground every week. We've had a snowstorm every week for the last five, so there's no pollen out there. Eventually, we'll get back into allergy and pollen season. So yes, foxtails are regional. So very important that we're aware of that. If you live in climates where it's warm and humid all year round, yes. The other thing is it really depends on the breed. Mm-hmm. A lot of the upright-eared dogs, other than the German Shepherd, an upright-eared dog rarely gets an ear infection. It tends to be the dogs with the ears that are dropped ears. Whether they grow hair in them or not, it tends to be a drop-eared dog. Mm-hmm. So there is one of the arguments for ear cropping is that we just don't see ear infections in Dobermans, Great Danes. Even though they have that giant funnel waiting for stuff to fall into the ear, it doesn't because the ear canal doesn't grow hair. It stays dry and clean. And so unless they're out in the snowstorm, you know, with big piles of snow coming into their ears and they're having a really great time out there. Or swimming or whatever. But still, it's because they're open, right? I mean, the ears open to the air. Ventilation. A billion years ago, my mom sort of rescued a basset hound and this poor dog, dear Lord, it was in a barn and I mean, and it stunk and we thought it was just because it was dirty. Well, yeah, I'm sitting next to this dog and I lifted his ears, this poor thing, and they were just almost rotted off his head. And my mother used to, his entire life, we were treating these ears. She finally took to duct taping his ears on the top of his head so that they could get airflow. ridiculous. There's a little device that you can put around the dog's ear that helps to lift them so that it Mm. helps with the ventilation. And I know there's a few people that have let the hair grow if they have long haired dogs like Cocker Spaniels Mm -hmm. and they'll braid the hair so that the two ears are braided together instead of using duct tape, which is a little harsh. Now, clearly a basset (laughs) hound will never grow enough hair to braid their ears together. But do your ears hang low? Do they wobble to and fro? Can you tie them in a knot? Can you tie them in a bow? Pretty much applies here. Yeah. So yes, important. So getting back to the basics of this stuff, sometimes topicals work, the ear cleaners and the topical medications. Almost every topical ear medication that's on the market and has been on the market for the last 50 years is a combination of an antifungal, an antibacterial, and a steroid. Different variations of all those things, you know, mm-hmm. things like Trezoderm, Panalog, the steroids are not as heavy duty as they are in some of the other products. The further up you go for expense, the more fancy the steroid is, the more expensive the antibiotic is. Sometimes those are the way you have to go if the easier, less expensive medications don't work. And remember, even topical steroids, ear medications can be dangerous to a dog who's pregnant. So do not reach for Panalog, Trezoderm, Momentumax, Positex, any of those if you have a dog that's bred or potentially is pregnant because that's going to cause the possibility of midline defects and other birth defects. So 
don't do that. Talk to your vet. Hydrocortisone is the only steroid that we can use in pregnancy. And there is one year medication on the market meant for dogs that has that in it. So some of these dogs go on oral antibiotics based on the culture and sensitivity. It might be cephalexin, simple ceph, clavamox. Some of them go on antifungals like ketoconazole if we have a mm -hmm. chronic yeast infection. And a lot of dogs in my world go on allergy medications because a lot of these are a component of allergies. So that may be atopica, that may be apoquel. In my world, prednisone, I use a lot of prednisone twice a week for these dogs with chronic recurrent ear infections. Mm -hmm. And, you know, the ear canals, after a while, they become scarred, they become inflamed. Some of them will get stiff and calcified. I mean, these ears, they get really nasty and really ugly. So I'd much rather have a dog take a prednisone tablet twice a week, which is very safe on a twice a week basis, not on a twice a day basis, at a low dose twice a week to just keep things under control. Sometimes that's all it takes because you may have a veterinarian that's circling the exam table, rubbing their little hands together going, oh, yay, we can do surgery on this dog. And there is a surgical procedure called a total ear ablation. And they literally remove the ear canal and there is nothing left. Now, most of those dogs end up deaf in that ear. If it's both ears, they're deaf completely. There are a very small number of surgeons that are talented enough. One is in Wisconsin that they can retain the hearing apparatus. And I don't know what his magic is, but I'm telling you, it's pretty cool. However, you do not want to sign up for a total ear ablation. It's a big deal. It's expensive. It's hard on the dog. It's hard on your pocketbook. No one wants it because it is a very permanent change. Just be aware that if you don't get this under control, that could be where you're heading. Right. And other than that Basset Hound, the other worst ear infection I ever saw was actually a Sharpay. Yeah. Because the narrowness of the ear canal. And the chronic allergies that they have, and sometimes it's Demodex. I mean, we can have Demodex in the ear, mm -hmm. just like anywhere else on the skin, and we know Sharpays are the queen and king of Demodex infections. Mm -hmm. So absolutely, those are all things that contribute. So if you do have an ear infection that is not going away the way it should, don't just ignore it. Seek help. You may be your regular veterinary clinic if they're interested in talking about food allergies, if they're helping you with other kinds of allergic things, if they're able to manage that. You know, you may find some great veterinarians out there that are not dermatologists that really love to do dermatology. Mm -hmm. One of my associates loves, loves, loves ear infections and derm cases. So it's great to have her mm -hmm. on my team because I'm mm -hmm. like, oh, you need to go see her. <laughs> but if you get to the point that you're really chronically dealing with this, then seeing a dermatologist mm -hmm. would be a good idea. Just go and, to the dermatologist. Yeah, yeah. Just go. It may look more expensive on the front end, but in the long run, if you can keep the dog off the surgery table and don't have to spend several thousand dollars on a surgery for each year, you may come out way ahead. And the dog and make the dog more comfortable. Yeah, absolutely. Cytopoint was the only other one I was going to ask you about you didn't mention. How do you feel about yeah. it? It works for some dogs. It doesn't work for others. Okay. Just because Apoquil didn't work doesn't mean Cytopoint won't and vice versa. Oh, it depends on the patient and if it's okay. necessary to use it. And it's easy enough to do a trial. Mm -hmm. You know, it lasts three to five weeks with one injection. Mm -hmm. So it's worth a trial. I think the food restrictions are worth a trial too. And I like a lot of these foods that are on the market for allergic skin disease. I think a lot of dogs do really well on those. We've had dogs for years that have done well on fish and potato diets and other diets. And as long as you're really strict about it and you don't feed them the crust off the pizza or let them lick up the ice cream bowl at the end of the bedtime snack you have and then throw everything off in the diet, then you can do really well. And that's a really important point is that sometimes people don't think about the other stuff they feed. They're pretty good with the diet, 
And then you'll say, okay, well, what else do you feed? What else do you give? What else do you, you know, and you start going down the list and they're like, oh, no, I give a rawhide every night. Yeah, that would be beef. So <laughs> mm-hmm. not working out. So you have to be, you know, really forthcoming and really insightful mm-hmm. and look at everything in the environment that your dog is around, whether it's a contact allergy, whether it's a flea allergy, whether it's food, whether it's mm-hmm. snacks, treats, any of those things can really set the dog up for a relapse or for a flare up. And if you keep a really great diary on a calendar, it can be your cell phone calendar, it can be on paper, that if you start off with a food elimination diet and then very specifically add one protein or one carbohydrate source back a week and you keep a great diary, you're going to know on the hydrolyzed protein diet, ZD, HP, HA, whatever it was, mm-hmm. the dog did great. You were fine when you added chicken back and you were fine when you added egg back. And then you got to beef or you got to corn or you got to wheat or whatever and the dog's ears blew up. Okay. How long a time is it going to be between I introduced this new whatever and the dog skin blows up, ears blow up, what have you? It's usually pretty fast. It's usually within 24 hours. Now, I try to give them a week on each one just to make sure, Mm -hmm. but it's usually within 24 hours. I actually have a client. She's been a client for a very long time. And her previous dog had some allergies and we sent home a bag of the prescription diet with her. And she called the next day and she said, well, I have really bad news. She said the dog's ears got way worse. And I said, no, 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 that's the best news possible. Number one, the pet food company will take the food back. Number two, we now know it's an allergy. We proved it. We just proved we gave the wrong protein or the wrong carbohydrate source when we were trying to figure out what it was. Because Mm -hmm. the skin testing that is available and the saliva testing to determine what food allergies the dogs have they're typically not thought well of by the dermatologists for being a useful tool. Can you do them yourself? Yeah. Do they help? Maybe, but it's sort of expensive to do it. So I typically don't recommend those unless a client's already done them. And I'll use the information if they have it, but I don't rely heavily on it because I don't think that those are very accurate tests. I think the food elimination diet and then slowly adding one protein or one carbohydrate back a week is going to be your best way to assess that. I know when my sister was little, she had food allergies and my mother had to do that. And really, we haven't gotten very far in 50 years. We're still doing the same stuff that we did 50 years ago to find out if you're allergic. But it's like, doctor, it hurts when I do this. Well, then don't do this. You know, so doctor, if I shellfish, I end up at the emergency room. Well, it doesn't matter who put the selfish folks. Don't do it. (laughs) So if your dog's allergic to corn or wheat or beef or chicken or whatever, don't feed it. It seems obvious, right? right? But they say 30% of the things that happen at the emergency room for people are self-induced, whether that's accidents, alcohol, drug overdoses, or I ate something I was allergic to and I knew it, but it was so yummy. I had to do it anyway. So if your dog looks at you with big brown eyes and says, but I'd really like a piece of that chicken. And you yeah. know, the dog's allergic to chicken. Just no. don't do it. Just don't. I mean, it seems obvious, right? I know. I know. Sometimes we just have to have the obvious right up front. (laughs) All right, you guys, you're obvious for the day, Captain Obvious and Nair. That's all I got. I'm still on the Nair. (laughs) Well, I'm glad I can fight today yet again. Yet again, every single month, like clockwork. (laughs) (laughs) Well, we'll get used to it. Start bracing for it. Every time. Every time. (laughs) All right. Have a great one, Marty. We'll talk to you soon. Bye-bye. Heads up, crew. We have a super exciting opportunity for all 291,000 of you. Uh, Right? We want to hear from you. What products and services do you love in the dog world? 
Through March, you will find a link to a quick survey at puredogtalk.com to give us that information. And because I know it can seem daunting to carve five minutes out of a jam-packed day, I am prepared to bribe you, for real, everyone who completes the survey this month will receive one free Pure Pep Talk mentoring message and be entered in a series of drawings. The grand prize winner will receive one full year paid membership in our amazing patrons group. Additional prizes include a free download of the audiobook, Auntie Laura's Beginner's Guide to Show Dogs, a free download of the first aid kit video with Dr. Marty Greer, and free Pure Dog Talk wine tumblers. So hey, take a couple minutes, swing by puredogtalk.com and complete your survey for the good of the order and a chance at some extra goodies. As always, if you have any questions or input, we'd love to hear from you. The show notes and links to resources on today's topic are available at puredogtalk.com. Drop us a note in the comments or email to laura at puredogtalk.com. Remember, guys, this podcast is for you. So if you want to know something, give me a holler. We'll do a podcast for you. If you wouldn't mind, you could help me out here. Take a couple minutes to visit iTunes and give us a review. The Dog Show Superintendents Association is a proud supporter of Pure Dog Talk. Our Dog Show Superintendents are the hardworking people who make the dog show function. They are advocates for education and mentorship in the purebred dog fancy. So stop by the Supers Desk at your next show. Tell them how much you love Pure Dog Talk and give them a shout out for their support. That's all for today. Thank you for joining us on Pure Dog Talk.